Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. So we have uh, microphoning, don't we? Yeah. Okay, cool. So the early morning sitting, we did not have microphoning. <laughs> but it's actually a good uh, Dharma lesson, as everything is, uh, about the way in which things work or sometimes don't work. And this is one of the key uh, elements of the teachings of the Buddha. See, these uh, teachings are about uh, how things are in the world, you know, and the ways in which we uh, can pay attention to how things are, learn about how they are, and then actually live in alignment with that. So I want to tell you a little bit more about the story of uh, this guy behind me, uh, the Buddha that uh, Pascal alluded to um, yesterday. In particular, the story of this moment that this uh, statue, um, this image, uh, is commemorating to. So this thing about the uh, microphone um, not working is something that we experience in our life in many different ways. Like, stuff doesn't always work the way you want it to. So certainly your uh, stuff doesn't work the way you want it to. Uh, some of you might have seen my car had a giant flat tire, uh, <laughs> like completely pancaked uh, yesterday. Uh, I don't know how that happened. I'm suspecting the turkeys, but I have no proof for that. Um, but this happens in any number of things, right? Things break all the time that you have, and uh, often inconvenient times, or uh, yeah, things don't, don't go according to your plans, uh, even this retreat, you know, you might find like, oh, I didn't like this way the schedule is set up, we're waking up too early or too late, or I don't like how the teachers arrange things, or uh, this is different than how other schedules have been and I don't like it. Or... So th- these are all different ways in which you know, the world does not conform to our wishes. And if our recipe for happiness, for well-being, for contentment is, uh, I will be happy and content when the world conforms to my wishes. Uh, when everyone follows my scripts exactly and says to me like what I want at the time that I want, in the way that I want. Or I'll be happy when everything works perfectly in my life. Right? Uh, like when my car works perfectly and my job works perfectly and my relationship works perfectly and... Uh, my physical body works perfectly, and my haircut is perfect, and uh, everything. Uh, it's, it's really a very fragile recipe for happiness in this world, um, partly because of the stuff that we talked about uh, yesterday in the Q&A, um, because everything is always changing. So even if you get your perfect haircut, it's only the perfect haircut for one moment, and then it already is growing out again, right? Like, as you leave the hair salon, it's... <laughs> It's already uh, on its way out. And this is true of everything. You know, everything is already falling apart uh, and coming back together again and falling apart again and coming back together again. Right? So this is actually the nature of the physical world. This is the nature of our bodies. Uh, this is the nature of uh, how things are. So the Buddha uh, himself was a guy who uh, had a very uh, privileged life. He actually was from a kind of a... a 
family of like feudal lords. They had a lot of uh, uh, property and they had uh, responsibility over some uh, different uh, lands. And so they were pretty, they were basically like uh, one percenters, right? <laughs> so he had a good time and they set it up like very nicely for him to enjoy his life. Um, partly because at the time of his birth, apparently there was like a, a horoscope done for him that said, uh, your son is either going to be a great uh, spiritual leader or uh, he'll follow in your footsteps and become uh, sort of the head of your family uh, property and sort of lord dumb like you. So of course the dad wanted him to become like him. So then he tried to make everything in his life uh, set up perfectly so that he wouldn't want anything else. He wouldn't look for anything else. He wouldn't choose to do anything else. Um, but he was kind of a curious guy. And after a while, even though uh, everything was really nice for him, they had the summer palace and the winter palace, and he did archery and music and dancing and all this stuff. He was like, what's outside of the castle walls? You know, what is there beyond this? And so he kept pestering that he wanted to go out. And they were like, oh, there's nothing there. It's better in here. You know. Um, but finally, they agreed to let him go out, but then um, they decided they had to clean up everything to make it look all nice, right? so that uh, he would be like, oh, okay, that's fine, and come back. So kind of like when visiting dignitaries come to a town or city, you know, they clean up everything on that one path that the dignitary goes on you know, so that it looks good. Um, so they did this for him, and he went out with his charioteer, uh, and... Everything was fine, everyone's like waving, but then he saw someone who was very uh, old, right? Uh, and he hadn't seen someone who was very old, like bent over and they've lost their teeth and um, they look like they're having a hard time. So he asked, like, well, what's that? What's going on with that person? And the charity said, oh, that's just an old person. Like, uh, like what do you mean by that? And he said, oh, everyone's going to get old, you know, if you live long enough. And so he was he was really stopped by this, like, wow, okay. So he went back to the palace and then after a little while he wanted to go out again so the second time he went out again they arranged everything also to be like really nice outside but then he saw someone who was very sick you know visibly was sick and he asked his territory like well what's with that person he said oh, that person is sick like mm, that happens to everyone from time to time and sometimes people get very sick and so he was shaken by this you know he came back and the third time he went out um, he saw uh, a funeral so people carrying a corpse so this was even more shaking to him. So he said, what's that? And he said, oh, that's a, a dead body. Like, this is going to happen to all of us. You know? Like, everyone's going to die. So they hadn't told him about this. You know, he hadn't uh, figured this out yet. And in some ways, uh, I think, in American society today, we kind of get glossed over this stuff, too. You know, you don't see too many corpses around to uh, know this, right? Or to recognize, like, yeah, this will happen to me and everyone I know, right? Life is short and unpredictable. So he came back, and then the fourth time he went out, um, he saw someone who was a uh, spiritual uh, seeker. So there was a cadre of people at that time who uh, wore robes and carried a bowl and had given up all their possessions, and their quest was to uh, seek awakening or to understand the nature of things or... Um, depending on their philosophy, merge with God or something. So he saw this person as a spiritual seeker, and he asked, well, what's up with that person? They say, oh, this is someone who has uh, given up everything and is trying to find the answers about life. So he was inspired by that, and then he decided that he wanted to do that too. 
but he had to sneak out because they didn't want him to leave. Right? So some of you might relate to this story, right? sneaking away to follow your destiny and become who you are, right? um, be able to live according to your truth. So he snuck out of his, his palace and left everything behind. He um, cut his hair off and left his jewelry and everything and, um, and went off to try to uh, practice meditation to understand things. And he practiced with one teacher for a long time and uh, came to the pinnacle of what that teacher had to offer, uh, which had to do with some deep concentration states. Uh, But it still didn't get him the answers that he wanted. So then he went to another teacher and he also practiced with that teacher, came to some more levels of deep concentration states, but it still didn't give him the answer that he wanted. And then finally he, he set out on his own, and he had done all these austerities, like physical austerities of starving himself and uh, twisting his body around and causing pain to the body, thinking maybe that was the way, and that also was not the way. So then he remembered this time when he was younger, when he had uh, a certain uh, state of mind that was both uh, clear and collected uh, and says given to imperturbability and Something about remembering this time from his uh, childhood um, helped him to understand what was the correct path uh, for seeing into the nature of things. So I said that he sat down on this one night and he had taken this vow that he was going to uh, understand. So he was not going to get up from his seat until his quest was finished. So as he sat there, he sat there all night for this uh, Sitting. So in case you think any of these sittings are long that we do, like he sat there for all, all night, eight hours, something like that. And it's said that he was assailed by the armies of Mara during this time. And the armies of Mara are, uh, Mara is this character that shows up in the uh, accounts of the life of the Buddha. He's kind of a trickster, um, kind of trickster, devil, kind of, uh, but more sort of like illusory um, character who uh, tempts you sometimes, you know, this kind of thing. Kind of some combination of like coyote and Satan uh, together. So uh, Bara shows up in the sitting and first assails him with like, oh, all these beautiful images. Like, why are you doing this? You know, you could go back to your palace and enjoy all of this beauty and you could have um, all of this good food and sex and music and enjoyment. And, you know, why are you doing this? And it's said that you know, he doesn't get knocked off his seat. So he knows what he is interested in. He knows what his quest is. And he sits steady. Right? He sits steady through this. And then the next armies of Mara are actually things that would scare him off his seat. So all these frightening images, terrifying things that come through his mind. Uh, so this Mara saying, like, you know, get out of here. And again, he sits steady through it. So he's not knocked off his seat by this. And then I said that this final uh, army of Mara is this one of doubt. It's like, who do you think you are to be doing this? Like, who do you think you are to be seeking uh, this understanding, uh, this wisdom, this clarity? And his answer in this um, statue is he's touching the ground. And Pascal mentioned this too. And this touching the ground is like, the earth bears witness to my right to be here. Uh, like, this is my, this is my birthright. I, I, I am also part of the earth in some way, I think. Like, the earth is, is holding me up. And in that moment, the doubt is dispelled. And boom, like, he's awakened. And then uh, the story goes on, and eventually he starts to uh, teach 
for the next 45 years. Um, and these teachings are still the same uh, practices, similar things that we're doing here 2,600 years later. So for us, I think among the things that are instructive out about this story, um, one is this, this idea of keeping one's seat. You know, and in some ways you could consider like we're training in this. We're training to keep one's seat. And so many different things in our life uh, conspire, particularly for us as LGBTQI people, uh, to have us not keep our seat. You know, the world is not designed uh, necessarily to be friendly to us, uh, to feel like a place that we belong in. So we already have had some practice in this. You know, we already have had some practice in being able to uh, see what other people are telling us we should be or uh, should not be, and yet to keep our seat in some way, you know, to be able to recognize what's true about uh, the life that's coming through us and our identity around gender, around sexuality, and to uh, try to live that. And it takes a lot of courage to do that. And there's more and more uh, different uh, armies of Mara, you could say, that come through. And we talked about some of them, the uh, hindrances, you know, the army of sleepiness, the army of restlessness, the army of wanting this or not wanting this, the army of doubt. But all of us have different ones that are challenging to us. And at different times in our life, different ones show up that are like, oh, trying to sort of knock us off our seat. So we practice with them, and our uh, shield is mindfulness, our protection is the collectedness of heart and mind that we develop develop together, Uh, and also part of our uh, protection is love. So remembering that we are loved, connecting with a source of love uh, and well-being that's there for all of us. Uh, if we can remember and if we can learn how to access that. So yesterday we started practicing with uh, the body. So bringing awareness to the body, bringing mindfulness to the body. And um, we're going to continue today with this aspect of uh, awareness of emotions and thoughts. So moods, emotions, and thoughts. And it's a level um, more of more complexity, you could say, than the body. For everyone, there's some emotions and moods that might be like, okay, like I could feel that. That's all right, I'm familiar with that. And then there's some that are difficult for us. And for different people, it's different which ones are the harder ones. So for some people, it's difficult to feel anger. For some people, it's difficult to feel sadness. Uh, For some people, it's actually difficult to feel positive emotions like joy or happiness. In this practice, when we want to practice uh, mindfulness with uh, emotions, moods, mind states, uh, we're practicing um, what you could call like a middle path with them. And middle path is something that's used in describing the Buddhist path often. Um, Probably is something about like not overindulging, but also not um, uh, causing unnecessary pain. So in the case of working with emotions, what this means is being able to see things as they are, not repressing emotions, like not pretending that they're not there or pushing them away, um, but also not like overly drama queening it up with them. (laughs) That's not the official term in the suttas, but that's... (laughs) So recognizing, for example, if something goes uh, badly for you, like uh, 
uh, like say you come to your car and there's a complete flat tire, for example, or you know, you know things. You know, you could be like, oh, like why me? Why is this happening to me? Why do bad things always happen to me? You know. Um, so you know, there could be some surprise, there could be some dismay, but then um, we can make it so much worse if we start to go into like why me mode, like self pity, or like as if like I'm the only one in the history of the world who's ever had a flat tire and. Uh, some way or ever had this thing happen right but on the other hand if something happens and then you're upset about it also you don't need to pretend like oh I'm really strong and I'm very spiritual so I'm not touched by these things so uh, so also you don't need to be like that or you know if someone upsets you or something um, it's good to be able to recognize that like oh like oh yeah there's a sense of being hurt you know to allow yourself to feel that hurt but not also um, kind of overdo it or over amplify it um, and in either case, these two extremes, they're different, but something that's common to them is about uh, identification. Right? So identification means this particular mood or emotion is coming through, and it's really just like a weather pattern that comes through. You know, it's just like a windy pattern or a cloudiness or uh, rainy or something like that. But when we over-identify with it, when we think like, oh, I am the weather, like I am this windiness, I am this cloudiness, like I am this sunny day, then we both are upset when it comes because we think like, oh, that's me. We're upset when it leaves sometimes because we think, oh, that's me and it's gone. We also feel then like because this is me, I have to either pretend it's not there, uh, push it away kind of thing. Um, or we like over-identify with it and then uh, amp it up more. Then you can um, assess for yourself with honesty, which is your tendency, right? You might have a certain tendency to do one more than the other. So the body is our friend still, even as we are trying to be aware of uh, emotions, moods, and so on. And we try to uh, be present with them and actually feel them in the body as they show up. So with any strong mood or emotion, uh, there's usually some way in which we can feel that in the heart, in the belly, in the throat, um, as some movement of energy. And it definitely takes some practice to learn how to read that. So be very patient and um, yeah, patient and kind in uh, learning about this and practicing this. And this is one reason it's called meditation practice is because, you know, uh, practice with anything, like you try it and uh, you don't get it and you try it again and you have questions and you try to figure it out and you know. So uh, obviously since the beginning of the retreat already you've been having moods and emotions so just because it wasn't on the like curriculum uh, didn't mean that it wasn't showing up right as the <laughs> questions uh, yesterday showed but it can help to go a little bit sequentially so if you have some tools of being with the body then that can help you to um, be a little bit better with different emotions, moods, and things like that. So as we uh, practice with this this morning, uh, you don't know, need to go looking for trouble. So you don't need to go like trying to uh, machinate difficult emotions to be with because um, you know they will probably show up if they if they do, and if they don't, they'll show up at another time. So that's actually fine. But just to suggest that we can include them in the. Uh, Connection with thoughts, we'll talk about thoughts also more um, in more detail this afternoon, but sometimes there's an emotion and then um, thoughts, like verbal thoughts, uh, come related to that. 
And sometimes, like, there will be a, a thought that occurs to you, and then from the thought, different emotions come. So you can observe how all of this stuff uh, interacts, sort of how uh, what we call our life gets constructed in this ways. So for example, I'm, I looked at my car and like, see there's a flat tire and be like, oh no, why is there a flat tire? And then like, you know, this thought occurs to me, like how did that happen? And then I think with no evidence whatsoever, like the turkeys, right? <laughs> so then image of the turkeys. And so then, you know, if I follow that along, I could get mad at the turkeys, right? Uh, and then if I don't notice that that's a thought, it's just a thought, right? Um, then I could spend the rest of the sitting thinking about, like, why do they have so many turkeys at Spirit Rock? Like, <laughs> there's no reason. They should, uh, like, put some fences or something, and um, at least to protect the cars, and you know. <laughs> so you could spend, uh, like, all of your sitting, and actually all day, like, coming up with different stories and machinations and stuff. And the helpful thing to recognize is basically, like, you're making it all up, <laughs> you know? <laughs> You're really making it all up, and it's really helpful to see that because a lot of times uh, the stuff that bothers us the most is not something that's actually happening. You know, like we're making it up in our mind and believing it and then suffering from it. So my favorite uh, story about this is a story about uh, someone who goes to a cave and they paint a picture of a tiger. Or maybe here better it would be paint a picture of like a rattlesnake, right? And then they look at it and they go, ah, like rattlesnake, and they run out of the cave <laughs> screaming, you know. Um, so what happened? Like, where was the rattlesnake? Where was the tiger? Like, uh, oh, they forgot that they made it up. Like, it was not there in the first place. They painted the picture of it, right? It wasn't there before they created it. It didn't actually inherently exist. So it seems like a funny story, but watch how you're doing this in your mind. You know, even just sitting here. Nobody's really bothering you. You're just sitting here breathing, and then something occurs to you, and the mind paints a picture of something something that happened in the past, something that might happen in the future. Uh, and if we don't recognize this just as a thought, you know, thought as thought, uh, we get completely pummeled by that. You know, we get sucked into the story of that. Um, we get, as it were, sort of knocked off of our seat, you know, of sitting steadily with it. So th- gaining some amount of uh, facility with this is incredibly helpful for your life. It's incredibly helpful for... Uh, not just as some meditative exercise, but for support for uh, living in the world in which things don't go your way, you know, a lot of the time. Uh, for being able to protect your own heart and mind uh, from both the external forces, but also the internal forces that assail us. You know. So there's a saying, uh, the Buddha says that, uh, you know, there's no, uh, there's no one who can be as good a friend to you as the well-trained mind. There's no one can harm you, no enemy can harm you uh, as much as the untrained mind. You know, so the mind that runs amok that we uh, don't uh, see clearly, we can't see through these things, can harm us more than any enemy can. Because enemy can say something to you, but it's only when you take it in with your mind right, that that really takes root and you suffer more and more cyclically over and over again. So this uh, attention to emotions, to moods, is really very uh, yeah, important and also challenging, I'll say, part of the practice. Uh, but here's the crux of uh, understanding what is suffering and what is the way to end suffering. You know, how can we live with more freedom in our life? Uh, how can we avoid doing things that we later regret, driven by moods that show up that are actually uh, temporary weather patterns? Uh, but that make us say and do things we feel bad about later.
So this is uh, part of what we will explore today. Uh, I'll say one more tip, which is that if there's any time there's a repetitive thought that comes through, and some of you already, I know, have had this in your uh, period of retreat here, if there's a repetitive thought that comes through about something that happened in the past or even some planning of the future, usually underneath of that is some uh, energy of strong emotion that's kind of like a fuel for that thought pattern. So usually we end up stuck in the eddies of the thought pattern itself. Like, they shouldn't have done that. Why did they do that? Next time I'll do this. Um, how about this? And, you know, we, we're stuck in that, but meanwhile there's this whole energetic current that we're ignoring underneath that, you could say. So the recommendation is if there's a thought that comes through once, twice, three times, if it seems to be plaguing you, see if you can drop your attention away from the story that you're telling about that or the, the word part of it, even the image part of it, to feel what is the energy of emotion or mood that might be beneath that? You know, what is it that might be fueling that? And bring your attention to being present with that as best you can with as much steadiness as you can. So that means feeling, if it's anger, for example, you recognize, oh, it's anger, and then feeling the heat, the contraction, the explosion, whatever it is. You know, and it can be kind of fun if you explore it just like that, like, like feel what it's like. And sometimes you can see that the way people draw emotions in cartoons, there's actually some, like, a little bit of truth to that. It sometimes feels like smoke is rising from your head, or, you know. Um, you could feel confusion, like it's like a buzzing like this, you know. So if you feel repetitive thoughts, try to be with what's the emotion beneath that uh, and be with that as if it's an energy uh, storm, as if it's a weather pattern moving through. All of them are impermanent, um, all of them are changing, and none of them are inherently you. So this is also really helpful to keep in mind. Uh, It's just something passing through that we mistake for ourselves in this moment. So the more we can learn that, even just one second of freedom from that can be tremendously helpful. So share those thoughts with you for a practice and reflection today. So let's, uh, let's try a little bit. We'll see, we'll see what Mara has in store for us today. So we can start again by taking our seat with sense of presence and even a sense of dignity. So we're practicing something very profound here, being present in our human life. You can take your intention to be present with whatever it is that shows up.
You can feel the body connected to the earth through your feet and through your cushion, contact with the chair. can use the breath as a place to stabilize attention. And we can also recognize even as we start, is there any particular emotion or mood that's present right now? You can feel if there's anything in your heart And sometimes it's something strong like anger or excitement. Sometimes it's something very quiet like a sense of calm or a slight sense of irritation. If there's something that's there, then you can notice that and bring your awareness to feeling what the movement of energy is in that mood, in that emotion. If not, we can just rest the attention with the body breathing.
And if it helps, you can use this sense of uh, mental noting as a technique. So as you're feeling the breath, you could just label in and out. And then if you notice the attention has gone to thinking or planning, remembering, you could just label that. And if it's gone to a particular mood or emotion, you can also label that with whatever it is, sadness, anger, happiness.
You can notice if there's any thinking going on right now. So it doesn't have to be a problem, just recognize that that's there. And you can notice if there's any emotion or mood present.
just noticing what is it that might be knocking you off your seat. Whatever that energy is, try to recognize it. Bring awareness to it with some curiosity. Whatever that energy is, remember that this is not you. It's something that's changing and insubstantial and permanent. Can be present with it with some sense of steadiness. neither pushing it away nor indulging it.
even as you practice the walking uh, meditation this morning, you could also even consider this, uh, what is it that knocks me off my path? And we alluded to the monkey mind that shows up that says like, oh, I should go uh, look at the uh, bench over there, or I should go back to my room and rearrange my stuff, or... um, this is boring. I don't want to do this anymore. Why are we doing this? Right. Doubt. So it's, it's actually very powerful to be able to do the walking practice with steadiness, whatever the mind shows up as. So this is kind of like if you're going uh, grocery shopping with a little kid, like the little kid might be in different mood. Like they want to go grocery shopping. They don't want to go grocery shopping. They're yelling and screaming. They're happy and singing. Um, but you shouldn't let three-year-olds designate when you should go grocery shopping or not. So uh, you want to uh, train in steadiness to be able to do what you need to do regardless of how the mind shows up. So it could be, okay, this is doing walking with a bored mind. This is doing walking with a cranky mind. This is doing walking with an exultant mind. This is doing walking with a quiet mind. So practice uh, the steadiness uh, regardless of what shows up. And it's continuing to train to be present in the body is a very powerful, powerful thing. And it adds up. You know, these, each of these moments that we're cultivating uh, mindfulness and presence is something that both is supportive for the unfolding of practice here, but also uh, so beneficial for when you go home. Uh, because we walk so much in our regular life and uh, training and being present as we're walking will really support us and being able to bring the practice into our life um, in other ways when we leave the retreat setting too. So today we're going to start um, seeing people in small groups and um, the groups for today are posted. There also will be groups for tomorrow. So if your name is not on the list today, uh, it should be on the list for tomorrow. Um, but if you are uh, completely new to retreat, your name should be on a list today. So if you're not and you've never been on a retreat before and you have a lot of questions, then you could tell the manager and we'll make sure we get you in today. Um, for the groups, I'll give the kind of general instructions um, to avoid repeating them each time. So the groups are an opportunity to check in about how it's going with the meditation uh, for you. And also if you have any questions um, about stuff we've been saying, the instructions or background things, you could ask that. Primarily, we want to hear how it is for you in the meditation, seated meditation, walking meditation. Um, what are challenges for you if there's things that are difficult um, to see if we can give you some help with that. Um, it's definitely not group therapy. I'm uh, completely unqualified to be your group therapist. And uh, it's more, the reason that we do it in a small group is one that sometimes people have common questions, that it's helpful to hear someone else's question. Um, and also sometimes it's helpful to see that you're not the only one who had sleepiness, restlessness, pain, uh, etc. But in the groups, primarily we want you to stay in your own experience. So when uh, someone else is speaking, you could practice listening meditation. So that means you can notice if you have reactions or responses to what they're saying, you like it, you don't like it, they remind you of someone you know, whatever, uh, and you can keep it to yourself. (laughs) So observe the arising of those thoughts and emotions with mindfulness silently, Likewise, also, even if uh, you think you have a great thing to say as advice to that person, you also are relieved of the duty of having to be the teacher today. So you also can observe your excellent advice and keep that to yourself as well. Um, 
So uh, yeah, please try and show up on time for the groups um, and uh, I'll try to end them before the next sitting, but it's possible that they will go over a little bit. So we do have uh, someone who signed up to be a practice leader. So you'll see someone for a few of the sittings today uh, who is not me or Pascal sitting up here or here. Um, and they're going to just sit silently and then they're going to ring the bell at the end of the sitting. So don't worry if you don't see one of us. Someone will still be here to relieve you from the end of the sitting uh, for sure. A um, couple other things. One is um, the noteboard. So um, the noteboard is really there only for um, mostly if there's some kind of like emergency or really something important that you have to take care of. Um, so I think it's unusual in... Um, it's unusual in that we like to try and consider it also sort of part of the silence. Um, so primarily we would encourage you not to write notes. And now that we've talked about thoughts and emotions, you get a chance to observe. Like usually you'll have a thought that's like an opinion about something often. And then maybe you'll think like, yeah, this is really important. I should write this down. So you write it down and you're like, someone else needs to hear this opinion. So then you post it for the managers or the teachers and... Um, in this practice, primarily we want you to notice that you have an opinion about something, observe it, and then let it go. Uh, so we're not actually going to respond to all the notes that we see that are like different opinions about things. Um, so you could save the step of writing it and putting it up to observe it in your mind and then let it go also. Um, if it's something certainly that's like an emergency thing or a health thing or like a logistical thing, then logistical things go to the managers. Um, if you really need to see one of us for something about practice, then um, yes, we'd like to hear from you. But uh, you also could just come and grab one of us rather than wait to see when we get your note. Uh, so take the note writing under advisement. Try to uh, renounce note writing <laughs> as much as possible, I would say. see what else yeah um, you might have seen some people are lying down in the back of the room and that's because they have some um, particular medical condition or something that makes it difficult for them to sit um, but otherwise by and large um, in the hall we ask people to sit up uh, and it's um, kind of as both a sign of um, respect for the tradition when we're sharing the dharma um, and also it makes it less likely that you're going to fall asleep so uh, for that reason, this is kind of our temple, you know, so we'll try to uh, act accordingly. I think that's it for the announcements. Um, so please enjoy the walking practice. Uh, keep an eye out for Mara. And uh, interestingly, Mara actually kept showing up uh, during the Buddha's life, even after he was enlightened. Um, but the way the Buddha would deal with him is he would be like, I see you, Mara. And that was it. So actually seeing Mara means that you don't have to believe in Mara or uh, get knocked off your seat or get dragged around by Mara. So uh, we don't need to actually kill Mara in some way. We just need to see through. Yeah. So if that's helpful for you, you could practice with that. I see you, Mara. Yeah. All right. Thank you. And for those who don't know, the council house is the building where you registered up the stairs across the way, too. Where that's where my groups are going to be. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.